policies, altered its foreign policy and shifted its allegiances under the personal dominance and leadership of one man, who often has emerged from nowhere. It is a nation that goes through periodic bouts of abrupt and often profound change in order to survive and progress. For General de Gaulle in 1940, the assumption of the mantle of French destiny was as natural as putting on his army greatcoat. As in the past, French history again required a leader to come to the rescue of the nation, to revive France, to restore France's honour and regain for her a place among the victorious powers of Europe. De Gaulle's origins were no more obscure than those of Napoleon, and his intellect and ability to seize and exercise power ruthlessly was every bit as strong. In the past, l'état c'est moi had been the watchword of the kings of France. However egocentric it might seem to the rest of the world, for Charles de Gaulle it was a matter of simple historical necessity to become the state. This French experience is the antithesis of Anglo-Saxon democratic history, in which constitutional stability is paramount and change comes through continuity and evolution. For Anglo-Saxons, this made the de Gaulle phenomenon all the more difficult to accept and comprehend. Winston Churchill, a 19th-century romantic devoted to France, did understand it, and at the outset embraced de Gaulle. Franklin D. Roosevelt could not. General de Gaulle was anachronistic, out of place in the American century, and a little absurd. He was a brigadier general with few troops, an enormous ego, and an uncooperative nature. France was prostrate, and that was that. Roosevelt dismissed de Gaulle contemptuously with the oft-repeated remark, Sometimes he thinks he's Joan of Arc, and sometimes he thinks he's Clemenceau. It was beyond his comprehension that this austere general, whom few men had ever heard of before, even in France, could create power for himself with nothing but his own rectitude, intelligence, personality, and sense of destiny. In particular, Roosevelt had never before in all his political life been up against the power of intransigence, Steeped in politics, FDR was probably the greatest political manipulator in American history. But General de Gaulle refused to be manipulated. It was incomprehensible, and indeed often totally unreasonable, that a French general in the middle of a war could be so unyielding with his allies, so petty, so haughty, so deliberately antagonistic, troublesome, and uncooperative. The great Churchill was prepared to play the loyal lieutenant and subjugate his national interests to the greater interests of the war effort as divined by Roosevelt. But de Gaulle's destiny was to fight for French interests, not subjugate them to the Anglo-Saxons. Intransigence was his prime weapon, often his only weapon, and it remained his prime instrument of power to the end of his days. How does mere ambition in a man harden into a sense of destiny? And what gives a man a feel for power and an appetite for power? General de Gaulle, for all his vivid writing, discloses very little of himself, apart from rather melancholy introspections about France and other subjects. He decided early on to enter the army, convinced, as many Frenchmen were at the turn of the century, that another war with Germany was inevitable. The army was a place where a man could exercise command and power, even at a young age and with a low rank, and perhaps even find destiny. 
De Gaulle was perfectly suited in personality, temperament, intellect, courage, and patriotic conviction to the moulding of a military career. He was a loner from the start, all his life ready to embrace the loneliness of command that is a hallmark of great generals. He always remained remote, aloof, distant from his fellow officers. He was moody, brooding, doer, and intensely intellectual in his approach to his career and the challenges and problems of military life. He devoured military history, always seeking out the details of the commanders who challenged the conventional, commanders who were original and made a success of disobeying. From the outset of his career, even when commanding platoons or companies on exercises, he made a habit of doing it his way, against the concepts and even the orders of those above him. He constantly sought to demonstrate his own independence and superiority at whatever level he was operating. His service